you'll remain standing for the reading of God's Word as we look again at Nehemiah chapter 6. We'll begin reading in verse 5. If you remember from last week, two of Nehemiah's opposers, Sanballat and Geshem, asked him to come out to the plains of Ono so that they could confer together. And Nehemiah told them that he would not come. And so we go on to see their continuous attacks, and beginning in verse 5. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servants to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you've also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now the king will hear of these reports. So now come, let us take counsel together. And I sent to him saying, no such thing as you say have been done for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hand. Now when I went into that house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Methabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I would go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Stanbalt had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way in sin, that they could give me a bad name in order to haunt me. Remember Tobiah and Stanbalt, O oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophetess prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elah, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. He may be seated. It should come as no surprise these days that Journalism has almost become a lost art. Journalism used to be about reporting the facts and details of an event or a story and leaving the opinion up to the reader to form their own conclusion. There was always a clear distinction between the news stories of the day and the op-edit column or segments. Now it seems like it is all op-ed written with a particular slant so that everyone would come to the same conclusion, the conclusion of the one that is reporting or the one that is writing the article. And they do so to please their base. I was told recently by someone that desired to be a journalist major in college that they went to their very first class and the professor of journalism of a major university said, journalism is reporting what people want to hear. Well, she left that class and changed her major because that is not journalism, or should I say that should not be journalism. But sadly, that is what it has become, hasn't it? What can draw more people in? What can get more viewers? What can have more clicks to our story? And oftentimes, the more sensational or the more scandalous, the better. 
oftentimes all at the expense of truth. Truth rarely matters. It's readers, it's viewers, because that equates to revenue. That's what matters, seemingly. So having a reliable source for news has become problematic in our day and age. The days of just the facts, ma'am, has long died. But ultimately, as we see in our passage this morning, this isn't new. For we read that there was false reports. We could even call it fake news being spread about Nehemiah, both outside the walls and even within. And perhaps you've had this happen to you. Perhaps you've had malicious things said, untrue things that were said about you. And no doubt it cuts deeply. It's discouraging. It's maddening, in fact. Well, as we've been seeing both last week and again this week in a two-part sermon series from Nehemiah chapter 6, that we notice and have seen that these ultimately are the schemes of the adversary. It's not mankind or flesh or blood or even the world per se, but it is the evil one himself who uses the world and uses others to do his bidding, oftentimes with lies and slander and false reports and false teaching. All of this is the arsenal of the evil one against the kingdom of God and against the church and against those of you that seek to live a godly life, those that desire to love Christ. You need to understand these things, that these things will come against you, and we need to be ready, and we need to be prepared for it. Ultimately, we do not need to be afraid because we need to carry on the task that we are called to do, but we do not do so unaware. And so last week, we saw the devious truths that was made. And this week, we want to look at the destructive accusation and the deceitful teaching. First, the destructive accusation. Last week, as you remember, the enemies called Nehemiah out and they took a new approach to have a peace summit of sort, to talk about it, to talk it out. But as we saw then, Nehemiah did not fall for it because Beneath this thin veneer of peace, their intentions had not changed. They still had no goodwill towards Nehemiah or towards the work or towards Israel at all. In fact, four times they asked Nehemiah to come out, and four times Nehemiah tells them no. He says it so often you could probably call him Nomiah instead of Nehemiah. Father's Day, got to have at least one dad joke, right? And don't laugh, my wife will warn you. If you laugh, it only encourages me and you only get worse. So be careful. But he tells them no. He tells them that they cannot be distracted. God has called him to this work and he cannot leave it. There's no compromise in Nehemiah, no compromise in the truth or the calling that God has placed upon his life. And I perhaps should add as a caveat, as a follow-up to last week's sermon, this does not mean that we do not have dialogue with the world. 
that would be the wrong conclusion. We do not shut the world off and do not talk to them. We do not say, well, I'm too busy doing the Lord's work. I can't speak with you. No, if anything, we are in the business of proclamation. Proclamation to all, proclamation to the world. But Jesus also says that we are to proclaim with wisdom. And we are to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And there is a difference between those that desire to have genuine dialogue and those that only want to trap. And you can usually tell the difference. I've had many people often, most often, outside of the church that will contact me usually by phone or email or social media, and they want to know my stance or the church's stance, usually on some controversial cultural topic. And my pat question or response is, well, that's a, a great question. I'd love to discuss it. Why don't we set up a time for you to come in and we can speak about it in person as a way to kind of tease out their intentions. Do they actually want real dialogue or do they just want an answer so that they can trap? See, Nehemiah did not need to test their intentions, did he? He already knew their intentions. That's why he could cut them off. But nine out of 10 times when I make this offer, the response is, well, I, I can't. I, I, I won't. I don't have time. Would you just tell me what I'm asking of you? Which demonstrates that there is no desire for conversation. There's no desire to know me. There's no desire to know the thoughts and the opinions or why we believe what we believe. And therefore, I do not and you should not give them what they want. It's just a trap. It's just a way to pigeonhole. Jesus did this often. Jesus, in fact, was the master of this. He would not put his foot in the trap that was set by the Pharisees. He would not put his neck in their noose. Oftentimes, he would turn the questions around so that they were the ones that were having to answer him and not him answer them. And so the same is here. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem had no genuine interest in really talking. They had no genuine interest in what was taking place. They did not want to learn. They did not want to understand. And therefore, Nehemiah did not engage it. He did not fuel their fire. So I hope that is a, a helpful understanding to last week's message. And so the tactics do not seem to be working against Nehemiah. They can't distract him. They can't take him off task. They can't make him compromise. And so they move on. And their next attack is just purely accusing him. You see it in verse 5. They do so writing back this time with an open letter a letter that is to be read by all, basically a gossip newsletter where slander can flow freely. If Sam Ballot was around today, perhaps it would take place through technology. Perhaps Sam Ballot, if he was alive today, would have sent a group email to as many people that were on his group email list. Or perhaps he would have wrote it, wrote it, written, wrote it on social media, and tagged everyone so that they would so see it and read it. But you see, it's an open letter. And notice how it begins. It begins always in the same way. It is reported 
among the nations. You hear how it starts? Well, it is reported that this is happening, that this is taking place. And our response when we hear these things, and, and the tactics are still the same today, we should, as people say such things, well, have you heard, or did you know, or it is reported by people that this is taking place? Our response should be reported by who? Well, you know, people. Well, what people? Well, you know, just people. Well, I don't know those people. Could you give me some names? Well, I, 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 I can't do that. Well, why not? Well, I've been sworn to secrecy. Well, this response should be, well, then I can't listen to nameless complaints and allegations. And you especially need to do this if you are a leader, especially a leader in Christ's church. If people want to come forward, we're all the more ready to listen. And I genuinely mean that. We don't see ourselves as flawless or without problems. And perhaps there is something that we are doing or that we have done that is wrong. And so we as leaders must always be willing to listen to the other side, but you cannot have anonymous accusations. The Old Testament law required two to three witnesses, and they needed to be public witnesses. They needed to attest what took place. But oftentimes, you'll see that it is not, quote-unquote, people. It's usually just that one person that is hiding behind imaginary people or perhaps other people that they have talked to about this, really, that they have gossiped to and slandered about it and have gotten them to come onto their side. You need to understand that because that is the anatomy of a church split. It is right here, and it always takes place in the same way. Have you heard? Let me just tell you something about what is going on. We should not give any ear to it because we do not know that it is true, and especially if it is anonymous. That is what is happening here. It is, it is reported among the nations. Everybody knows this. No, it's not, Sam Ballot. You made it up. You're spreading lies. But then he adds, and this is almost comical, it is reported among the nation, and Geshem attests to it as well. Well, as if Geshem was a reliable, objective source or witness. That is like saying if you're a superhero. It is reported, and Lex Luthor agrees, that Superman has done these things. Or it's reported about Batman, and the Joker has confirmed it. Right? That is the equivalent of what is said here with Geshem adding his name to this rumor report. Well, what is being, quote-unquote, reported? Well, it's that is Nehemiah is leading a rebellion. That is the reason why they are building the wall. And even more so, Nehemiah, you want to be king. That is why you're doing this. It's all for your own desire. It's all for your own glory. It's all to set yourself up. You're even having people, you're even having prophets proclaiming in the streets that you are the king, that everyone would have this to be named, known, that God has set Nehemiah. This is the will of God for Nehemiah to be king over all. 
well, we're going to let the real king, the real king of Persia know. We're going to tell him of this rebellion. We're going to tell him of this insurrection, which you are the ringleader of. And you're going to be in big trouble, man. But it's lies, isn't it? Lies and lies and more lies. But look at Nehemiah's response. Verse 8. No such thing as you say have been done. For you're inventing them out of your own mind. He doesn't try to defend all of these attacks. He doesn't try to give them credit or give them credence. This is ultimately an attack of his character, of his integrity, of his intentions. It's mudslinging at its best, and it's hurtful, and it's painful. But Nehemiah knew it was not true. And even more so, the people of Israel knew it was not true. Why? Because they had seen Nehemiah in action. They hadn't seen someone that was setting themselves up, not somebody that was sitting on a throne. They saw somebody that was coming alongside them, that was helping them, that was getting their hands dirty. They see a humble servant leader that was serving alongside them, one that wasn't looking for promotions or accolades, but had the well-being, the common interest of all the people at hand. You know what your best defense is against accusations? It is your character. The way that you live day by day, people will know what is right and what is true by the way that you demonstrate yourself, the way that you carry yourself. See, if Sanballat and his cronies were in Nehemiah's position, it's actually what they would have done, what they accused Nehemiah of. They would have set themselves up as king. They would have sought their own power and their own glory and their own promotion and their own praise. And so they speculate that that is exactly what Nehemiah is doing, exactly what they would have done. They don't understand that Nehemiah is a different man than them. He was a man born of the Spirit with a different purpose. That's doing what is good, not for himself, but the purpose of the church and the kingdom of God. But the world, and you need to understand this, is good at putting their own intentions, their own purpose on you and also oftentimes on the church. They'll say to the church, well, you're just power hungry. You're just looking to oppress others, to keep them down so as to gain power. And we need to say, no, as Christians, we're called to die to self and to our own interests and to put others above ourselves. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Well, the natural man doesn't understand that. Why? Because the natural man loves himself. Therefore, they can't understand why anyone would be different than them. They don't understand the purpose why anyone would do anything without having selfish gain attached to it. And so their presupposition is that there is selfish gain. There's selfish underlying motivation because ultimately they are blind and not born. Again, recently there was a pastor up in Calgary, perhaps you heard this story, that's been arrested for having his church open during the lockdowns. And there were those that were saying, well, He's just doing this to make a name for himself. He's just trying to run for office. And all 
sorts of other silliness. The pastor was saying, no, I, I just want to pastor my people, and I want the church to be open so that we can worship. I have no political interests. They can't understand. There's no categories for it, and so, therefore, they think it must be more than that. And so we need to understand that, that the accusations will come. And they come ultimately from the father of lies. Satan's favorite tool to use is accusation. And the more that is false, the better. Because he loves to undermine the truth. And again, we need not prove ourselves before God or others. No, we can have a clear conscience. Well, there's another attack that is probably even more devastating. Seeing the devious truth, we see the devastating and destructive accusations, but now we see deceitful teaching. You see it in verse 10 with a prophet named Shemaiah, perhaps an old prophet, perhaps a respected prophet, one that had been around for a while. And we read that Nehemiah went to his home, and Shemaiah tells him, by the way of prophecy, thus says the Lord, that you need to do this. What you need to do is that we together need to go, and we need to go to the temple. And we need to shut the doors, and we need to confine ourselves in the temple as a way of protection. You remember the Old Testament gave a a provision for people that were in harm's way to, to go to the temple, to come to the temple courts and to have the elders judge their case so that there wasn't just a, a, a judgment that was taking place out in the, in the street, that they weren't allowing people to take vengeance into their own hands. And so you can see that some of this is, is true, but Shemaiah is telling him even more than that. He's saying, no, we need to go into the very temple itself. We need to go within the temple, not just the temple courts. And why is that? Because, well, Nehemiah, they're coming. And they're coming to kill you. And he even says, they're coming to kill you by night. Or you could perhaps read it, they're coming to kill you this night. And you hear the urgency. We, we've got to go. And we, we've got to go right now. And it seems legitimate. Here's a house bound man, perhaps because of his physical ailments, that's saying, hey, even I'm going to come. I'm going to go with you, and we need to get out, and we need to go to the house of God, and that's the only place that we're going to be safe, and that's the only place that we're going to be protected. Now listen, Nehemiah was a courageous man. I, I pray for his courage, but he was also flesh and blood, and he knew what these attacks were. And he knew the intentions behind it. And he was a man that was not without fear. And you can see how this prophecy, this teaching, preys upon fears, preys upon vulnerabilities. And you need to understand that false teaching often does that. It preys upon those that oftentimes the most weak and has them to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do, but oftentimes because of their fear. They, they do it anyway. And oftentimes, they even know it's not true, but, but they want it to be true. They want health. They, they want wealth. They want prosperity. They want 
equality. They want into justice. They want blessing. They want power. Who wants among us say yes to all of those things? The problem is they can't deliver it because they go about it through a false means. They go about it through a worldly means. They go about it through the ways of the world and not the means of God. Didn't Nehemiah want safety? Didn't he want protection and and ultimately peace? Yes, that is why he's building the walls because God called him to do so. But this prophet is saying, well, you can stop that. You can have it now. You can have it right now. Just do it your way. And ultimately, he's saying, even though he's not saying this, abandon God's way. Forget the rest of the people. Protect yourself. But Nehemiah sees to do so, to violate the commands of God. Nehemiah was not a priest. He was not a Levite. For him to go into the temple would violate what God had commanded. And I love, you got to love, you want to know the heart of Nehemiah. Here it is in, in verse 11. Here's a, a wonderful summary. It comes in his response. He says, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? You hear two parts to it. First of all, who do you think I am? Am I such a man that I'm going to run away? Do you think I'm going to duck and run now? Do you think I'm going to put my tail between my legs and scamper away and I'm going to abandon these people that have been working alongside me? You think I'm going to abandon my post? Essentially, I, I fear no man, Nehemiah saying. I do not even fear death itself. But then he goes on to say this, and this is even more important. But there is one that I do fear, and that is God Almighty. That is the living God. And that is why he's saying, who am I that I should go in there and live? Who am I that I should go into the presence of the holy God for my own means, for my own protection, for my own safety? I'm a mere mortal. I'm a sinful man. I will not go into the presence of the holy God for my own gain. I will not violate God's commands, even if it is at the expense of my own life. You see, demonstrated so clearly Nehemiah had no fear for man, but he had great fear of God and of his ways. And that is a true leader. That is a wise man. Ecclesiastes 12 says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We need that type of wisdom. And even more than that, as it says in verse 12, as a result of this prophecy, he understood and saw that God had not sent him. Why did he know that? Because it went against God's word. And even more than that, he realized either at that time or later on that this man had not only given this false prophecy, but he had pronounced it because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. See, he was a hireling. He was prophesying for profits. He was preaching for pay. He was hired by the opposition. But you need to understand the Lord will never violate his word. Never, ever. Often, even in this day, we, we are told that 
people get new fresh words or fresh revelations. Let me tell you, it is fresh, but it's not from God. It's fresh from the pit of hell because God does not need to speak anything new. He does not change. He need not change. He is the God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and therefore our God will never lie. That which he has said in his word is still as true today as when he said it. And so, church of the Lord Jesus Christ, do not be deceived. This word right here is our only standard. It is our only truth. And therefore, do not listen to anyone that says otherwise. Do not listen even to me or Pastor Myers if we say that this is what God says, but if it does not and is not backed up by the word of God, then it is not true. This is the truth of God. This is what's written in his word. If you were here in Sunday school, that is exactly what you heard, that we need to be committed to the scriptures. We need to be sola scriptura people. Remember, the Bereans were commended by the Apostle Paul for testing everything that the Apostle Paul said. By what? By scriptures. So we must do the same. The words that are preached, the words that are teached, must be from this word. God will never violate his word. Well, I said at the beginning of this point, this is oftentimes the most destructive and devious attack of the evil one because oftentimes it's most hidden. Pastor Harry Reeder of Briarwood in, in Birmingham says that Satan has three attacks and you may want to write these down, but it's so good that I don't think you'll forget it. He says Satan's three attacks are imitation, intimidation, and infiltration. And we don't have a time to look at each one of those, but you can understand them. Imitation, Satan tries to say that his ways are better than God's and that you don't need to go with God's ways, just go with his ways. And then intimidation, we've seen a lot of that. Even we've seen that in this chapter, they were doing this because it says in verse 9 that they wanted all the people to be frightened. And again, they had hired him that he should be afraid and act in this way. We see this idea of intimidation that takes place so often. But it's infiltration, coming in amongst the ranks, sowing wild seeds by false truth, by false doctrine, through teachers and leaders, ultimately wolves in sheep's clothing. I say that is the most devious because we know ultimately, even though we fall for it often, that the, the world and Satan does not have anything better to offer than what God offers. And we know that threats and opposition are bark with no bite. Even if it's unto death, we know that our life is in Christ, but to spot false teachers, false teaching is hard because it's the most convert, covert, because it's so close to the truth, but just slightly off. I tell you, that has destroyed more people and more faith than anything else, because it has all the trappings of God, the things of God, just like this does. This had partial truth. There's some recommendations in the Old Testament that you could go to the temple for safety, and, and this prophet knew that and was praying upon it, but he was telling him to go even further and beyond that. We need to know that as well. 
But just because it's the church doesn't mean that it's the church, not the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus called the synagogues the synagogues of Satan because there was false teaching that was going on in these places. The church of the occults, and it's hard to recognize unless you know the truth and you need to be born again and you need to have the spirit. And that's why we need to read and we need to study and we need to love the truth. Listen, Jesus and the apostles gave very little criticism of culture and very little criticism to the politics of the day. Do you know what they spoke the most of? Do you know what they saved their gunpowder for, so to speak? It was for false teaching and teachers, warning and pleading with the church to remember sound doctrine. Timothy says to to Titus, Titus chapter 2, verse 1, as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. You hear what Timothy is saying to his protege, Titus, this is what the people need. They need sound doctrine. They need sound teaching more than anything else. But we know that Satan will continue to give falsehood, and we need to beware of it. But as much as Satan schemes and plans, ultimately his plans never work or never overcome because the church of the Lord Jesus Christ will be built up. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. And that is what we see in this passage. We see that in 52 days, which was an incredible accomplishment, the cities of the, the walls of the city were complete. And as a result, notice what happens. It says that the enemies, as a result, became afraid. See, they tried to make the people of God afraid, but as results, as they carried on in the work, as they were not distracted or not to, to fall to the wayside, as they carried on and accomplished this, they were the ones that became afraid. And that is what we're called to do as well, not to fall for these attacks, but to carry on, to be faithful. And that is what is the most discouraging to the evil one is when he tries his best, and yet he cannot make this one fall. He cannot make this one succumb to these attacks. Well, as we close this morning, the very last things that were to be set up were the gates, the gates of the city. And spiritually speaking, there is only one gate. There is only one door. There is only one way into the church, and ultimately into the kingdom of God, and it is through the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. And so as we close Nehemiah chapter 6, let me say to you, each and every one of you, do not be left outside the gate. Do not be left outside the city. Do not be left outside the people of God. In fact, listen to what Jesus says to us this day. In John 10, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come to me before are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolves snatch them and scatter them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am not that way. I am the good shepherd, he says. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father and I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also and they too will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. You hear what Jesus is saying. There's only one gate, only one door. Because ultimately, there's only one shepherd, and there's only one flock that we are to be a part of. And so enter in through that gate, through that door. Listen to that voice alone. Come under the care of that shepherd. Lie down in that pasture, because he is indeed the good shepherd, the one that has laid down his life for the sheep, for you, and for me, and all those that enter in. And so this day, let us enter in. And there and there alone, may we dwell safe and secure for all eternity. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, indeed, you are the door. You are the gate. You are the good shepherd that watches over your sheep. And you gave the ultimate price. You were not a hireling. You did not do it for your own promotion or even for your own ultimate glory on this life, but you set that all aside so that you could lay down your life. You would come not to be served, but to serve and give your life as a ransom for many. And therefore, we see the true way of leadership. We see the true way, the true path that leads unto everlasting life. And so would we walk in that way? Would we walk in that path? Would it lead us to the cross continuously and constantly? And may we, through that cross, through the good shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep, may we find pasture. May we find safety and security from these attacks, from these accusations, from these lies, and from these falsehoods, Lord, that are constant, that bombard us each and every day. Would we find the safety and security that we have, the only one that we need, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We pray it in his name. Amen.